From his first job flipping burgers at McDonald's and delivering the Washington Post, Craig Willett counts only one and a half years of his adult life working for someone else. Welcome to the Biz Sherpa Podcast with your host, Craig Willett, founder of several multi-million dollar businesses and trusted advisor to other business owners. He's giving back to help business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs achieve fulfillment, enhance their lives, and create enduring wealth. The Biz Sherpa. This is Craig Willett, the Biz Sherpa. Welcome to the Sherpa's Cave. Today, I'm really excited to have with me Bill Toon Jr. Bill is a good friend of mine, but he has a lot of experience in sales and marketing. Today, we're going to be focusing a lot on that. I'm grateful that he'd take the time to be with us and open up the secrets to success that he's experienced in his life. Bill, welcome to the show. Craig, thank you for having me. I'm really excited about this. I'm glad to have you. So tell me a little bit about Tell us all about your background, where you started, and uh, if you have ed- some education insights you want to give, because sales and marketing is something I think you can't learn by a textbook. So experience is the real teacher, I believe. But I, I agree with you. You know, I'm a Southwest kid, born in New Mexico, raised in Arizona, but in my career, I've worked for Dow Chemical twice, General Electric twice, in different businesses. I've lived. Uh, in Connecticut, New Hampshire, Michigan, Atlanta, Arizona three times, LA. So you could say if you're in sales and marketing, you'd be ready to move be, around. Be ready to move, <laughs> be flexible if you want to move up the ladder, especially if you're in uh, in corporate America. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of corporate America, you have a lot of experience, as you mentioned, in corporate America, but recently you made the move to be a business owner. Tell me a little bit about that. I did. You know, my career spans about 30 years. It's always been in sales in some form or fashion of uh, being an individual contributor of uh, all the way up to a large, running a large P&L as a senior vice president. But in that, it was customer focused and it was selling product to them and then just doing it in a profitable manner. But that 30 years is involved, as I said, the corporate America, but I also worked in a small family business that that my father had started and I actually helped an injection molder with his sales and marketing plan and spent about 18 months with that person who happened to be my mentor. So you got a little bit of flavor for entrepreneurship and small business in the process. Exactly. And now I've started my own, which was, uh, and I'm blessed to be able to have had those two small family businesses that I worked in, but it became a choice in my life where I needed to do something different. Did I go back to corporate America? Did I get back on the road. I was traveling 75,000 to 220,000 air miles a year. Wow, that's a lot of time away from family and from home base. Exactly. And, you know, and, and that took a toll on, on, on the life as well as, you know, my relationship with kids and my wife. And so now what's it like to go and blaze your own trail? Well, my wife doesn't ask me anymore, like, are you going to go on a business trip uh, and get me out of the house? So, <laughs> so we've normalized that at the house. That's um, good. But now, you know, it feels good because you, you're able to finally get into balance in your life. You're finally able to uh, enjoy, you know, living in Utah. It's wonderful, especially with a Jeep that I can go a lot of places and, <laughs> and both in the winter as well as the summer. And I'm really enjoying this beautiful state. I think a lot of business owners might say, what are you talking about having time on your hands? <laughs> when you start and own a business, it kind of monopolizes your time. How do you view that? It, it's a forced balance that, that you have to do. 
And, you know, and obviously there's a lot of late hours. There's a lot of time when everybody's asleep that you sneak into the office and you, you've got to do your QuickBooks. You've got to do other things that you probably didn't have to do in corporate America. Oh, okay. So, yeah, you take on a lot of different roles other than your specialty. You have a lot of different hats as a small business owner. You do. Great. Well, I'm glad you'd come. I'm glad you'd come today. I, I really want to know and, and help our audience know what some of the common traps are in business owners face as they try to grow their businesses. What, what do you find as things that typically trip up business owners? I found that, that owners that trip up, the trap is they don't have a rhythm, they don't have a, a cadence that has processes and tools in place. You also find that an owner will try to wear many hats, will try to be the operations person, the CEO, the accountant, the HR person. By necessity sometimes. By necessity sometimes. So that inhibits this developing the rhythm or an expertise in sales and marketing, even though they may have skills. Exactly, exactly. And, and there comes a time where they're gonna have to hire somebody, they're gonna have to delegate and allow them, and I, I call it the, the delegate and elevate, where oh. you can finally work on your business and not be in it. And I'd probably say that the other thing is, is not having a, a clear sales strategy. And, and a lot of people are like, well, what do you mean? Yeah, that? what is that clear yeah, sales exactly strategy? You're, you're in the sales world <laughs> and that's all you believe. But no, it's, it's the days of uh, Henry Ford and a black you know, Model T, uh, which color would you like, black or black, or over? That, <laughs> that, that having a great service and a great product only goes so far, and then competition's going to come in, and you're going to have to get aggressive, but you need to have that sales strategy that will further and make your product or service that you've, you've got sustainable. That's a really good response to have something be sustainable. What can a business owner do to better manage growth and all the other aspects of the business so they can keep a focus on sales and marketing so that that doesn't die out? Because if you're not selling, then you're dying, right? I mean, everybody has, people say, well, I don't have to sell. Well, you even if you have one contract and that's all you work on all the time, you have to renew that contract. So you have to be selling, finding out the needs to be able to renew a contract, even if you're just in a service business. So, I don't think there's a business owner out there that could dismiss the fact that sales and marketing is a key component. Right. So, so what can they do to manage the other aspects and balance personal life, but keep the business growing? You know, there, there has to be a non-negotiable forced balance of life. And you know, there's four quadrants. It could be your faith, it could be your family, personal life and then work. And I'd probably say that that ought to be the order, at least in my world, and you know, and, and really try to bring balance to your life. But I also have something I call SAMO, which is strategy, Sam analysis, methodology, and organization. And, then you, and I'll talk a little bit more about that, most likely in our conversation, but it's a matter of having those four four pillars in your business and then just executing. But I think that there's something So putting some processes and some systems in place that don't require you to reinvent the wheel every day and, and make you spend even more time in the business. Yeah, and have a foundation that you're not building, you know, this, this profitable revenue mansion on quicksand. You know, that you, mm -hmm. you've got this foundation and these pillars 
But you know, and I also find that small business owners really miss the boat when it comes to who they hire. And, and I'm a strong believer, and it's probably by necessity, I've always hired people smarter than me, which, you know, <laughs> I tried to get the bar up. And, uh, Try, you're trying to imply yeah, that yeah, that yeah. wasn't hard? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and that, that they really need to surround themselves with great people, create a vision, and then get out of the way. Let them do, do what you've hired them to do. And but that's hard. It's your baby as a small business owner. You want to kind of get in and say, hey, wait, let me show you all the things about this. Here's how I did it. Right. But I would, go, I would challenge you to go back to the traps, go back to the balance in the business, that if you aren't you know, hiring great people and giving them the vision and the right job description and, and, and then getting out of the way, and letting them, and, and you know, there'll be times where you're gonna have to put in controls and, and pulse measurements of what they're doing. But right. that's, that's all just, again, this cadence or this rhythm of running a business. I, I like that idea. It takes a little bit of capital to have to be able to hire people and allow them to do that. What are some of the key tips? I know a lot of business owners wanna know, how do you grow revenue? I mean, that seems to be, right, the thing that gets measured most. You go to renew your bank loan, they want to see, did you grow last year? They don't want to see sales down and they don't want to just see units up. They want to see the dollars of sales up too. And so you can't lower the price and to get the sales as far as units up to last year, but have the profits be lower. So what's the key? You obviously have worked in it your whole life. So you have to know some tips and some tricks you can share today. Well, you know, I go back to that phrase I said, Samo, you know, strategy, analysis, methodology, and organization. But my organization that I'm part of, that, that the Sales Acceleration, we've been around for many years. And if you look at, we've surveyed thousands of, of small business owners when we started an engagement with them. And in that time, if you look at strategy, only 12% of small businesses actually develop a written revenue plan that has a knowledge of competitors, has has strategies around margin and these other things. And so only So pricing, profitability, who's your competition? Exactly. And where is your customer? Yeah. And what are their needs? And then, you know, it goes on further. You go to analysis, only 11% of our clients when we start actually have uh, sales goals, quotas, KPIs, metrics, compensation type. What's a KPI? A key performance index. And, you know, and I would say it's just the metrics that, that as you have a cadence and you're looking at that strategy down the road and, and it, are you going to meet your number for the year? Then, yeah, then you should be doing certain actions like calling X number of customers a, a week, you know, visiting this many customers, having this many lunches, you know, and all these these metrics that you might have that that are predetermined, and then wow. uh, then you go down to one stat that really kind of blew me away when I started, was that only seven percent of our clients when we started actually had any type of CRM or customer relationship management tool, and wow. and and had it to where they would put sales processes into it and use that as as a tool to follow up and as to, as to how you're going and as a database for your customers. And, and allow you to do digital marketing campaigns from that, that database. So wow. it's only 7% out of thousands of, of clients that we've worked with. Wow, so you could say the small business world is ripe for that. I remember somebody told me, you get what you measure. 
one time. And so if you're not measuring activity, mm-hmm. you're not measuring sales, you're not measuring margin, then it's kind of a wish. So if you're measuring, then you have the behaviors or the activities that lead to sales, right? And that's kind of what you try to get people to do. Right. And there's the old saying, trust but verify, inspect with you, expect. But then the last one uh, on the O, only 12% of our, our customers or clients or small business owners actually have uh, a job description for, for their salespeople, um, onboarding process, uh, continuous training. They, so they don't do somehow that. that comes as no surprise. I mean, corporate America, right, has the ability to do that and has to to standardize things. Small business, it's hard for the owner to sit down and write the book on it. So maybe that's where somebody like you comes in. You can come in and help with whatever that manual is and have outside training because it's hard as a business owner to be balancing the books, negotiating with the bank, hiring the people, doing the negotiating a contract to purchase your product, ship it, and then you're supposed to have a sales manual and manage the sales force. Exactly. So and, you, know, you gotta juggle it all, but again, I go back to somehow you have to figure out how do you afford to hire a few people around you that are specialists in this. And it could be a fractional basis. It could be a full-time employee, but there, there are roles out there that you need to have to be able to run these businesses. So I guess you could really say that, quite frankly, there isn't, you can't afford not to hire somebody exactly. in these areas. Whether it's full-time or it's fractional or part-time or consulting. Great. Well, you know, if you're growing revenue, there's a lot of ways to do it, right? I mentioned one, you just cut prices so much that people are calling you up because you're giving it away. And that can generate sales as far as unit volume and potentially dollar volume. But how do you know as a business owner, how do you know as you run a sales organization that you can protect profitability? Because I think that's one of the concerns business owners have is, hey, I've hired somebody and I'm afraid they're gonna give it away and I don't want them to give it away because I'm used to this good profit margin. You know, it's all in the, in the details of the planning. And there has to be a specific plan as to what your revenue is, what your products are, what the profitability is gonna be around that. And then you've gotta, you've gotta build, once you have your margins and your product and your sales plan built, then you, you build your compensation to reward your salespeople for selling those higher margin products. And, oh, and you send I see. them down that path that this is what's important. But then you take it a step further is, is to where you're actually having regular reviews of what your revenue is, what your margins are, which products you're positioning. So that way you can pivot or adjust. And, and if, if it's going down that, that wrong path of profitability. So there, that's why I have the checks and balances in place and have a system that allows you to maintain that profitability. How much leeway do you give a sales force on pricing? Each business and each industry is different, and it really depends on how much margin they have in the first place, how much competition's out there, what the market pricing is giving you. But, you know, you have, it depends on what you've defined as your value proposition in the marketplace and, and how many people have an illness, companies have an illness, that you're the only one that can provide that cure. Oh, okay. So you have a lot of ability to maintain pricing. You have. When you're unique. But, but, you know, the the two additional points on that, 
I think that are real important is you've got to avoid that slippery slope of discounts, of, of always you know leading on <laughs> price because all right. that means is you don't have the right value proposition. Right, because you you're not valuing your product enough. How is somebody else going to? Exactly, and you know, and you've got to stand firm on what your value proposition. You've got to do your homework in advance, which is a key component of marketing. And you know, the last the last point I'd make on this this subject is that you really have to have the courage to be able to walk away from an unprofitable customer. And I know back, you know, when I first started that customers were king and that you do whatever they, they said. And that's because there was always plenty of margin and there weren't a lot of competitors. But today it's okay to shake hands with, with a customer and say, I love you, but I, I just, I don't have the ability to meet the needs that you have as a company. And maybe we can do business in the future and walk away from it. That takes a lot of character to do that. Not everybody wants the sale, so that takes a lot of leadership to be able to do that. Now, you have a lot of experience in corporate America that probably gives you a pretty good track record in growing revenues and growing profits in divisions. Tell me a few stories that you might have about that, those experiences that you've had in corporate America that can translate into something practical that small business owners can use. You know, I have two. I have Dow Chemical and I have General Electric. And the Dow Chemical, I just love Dow. I love the people. Uh, you know, their current uh, president, CFO, was in my training class out of college. Oh, really? And and he's a great leader, and he belongs where he's, he's at. But what I loved about Dow is that you had a lot of high IQ people that were you were surrounded with. A lot of PhDs in chemical engineering chemistry scientists and i was blessed to be part of a group that actually went out and invented products that were needed oh wow based upon demand three years five years ten years out and that was a global job in two different uh, business units within dow chemical and so you learned early on the need to innovate based on future customer needs so that you were bringing unique product to market. You'd, you'd have channel partners, you'd have other organizations like IBM who who has a slew of, of PhDs that are working on intellectual property and that we would bundle with our intellectual property and if we could build those together then we could we could uh, you know solve a solution and we did. The, the PlayStation 3 five years before it rolled out with those great graphics it was, it was done because of an invention where we had disruptive technology to replace chemical vapor deposition in the semiconductor manufacturing process with a spin-on dielectric, which is completely disruptive. And that was done years in advance and, and at board level uh, decision-making at Sony, Toshiba, IBM, and Dow Chemical. Wow. So it, it was wonderful that you, you could work with such high IQ people and solve what you knew were going to be the illnesses in the future. I think that's great because I think I hear time and again as I interview people on this podcast that one of the secrets to business success is knowing what your customers' problems are and being able to solve them, sometimes even before they really realize what they are and you provide a better way for them to do that. And so that uniqueness allows you to build revenue and growth. What are some other experiences you've had? The customer intimacy that you just described, second to none back in the GE Plastics days, led by Jack Welch. 
And uh, I what was, a great was, business leader he was. I was there in the early parts of my career, and and you know you knew certain things that you were going to absolutely work twenty four seven, but you were also going to play twenty four seven, and it was to the point where you know you would you would you would have that experience of playing hard, working hard with not only your peers but also the customers were involved in that, and and you knew you would never get out hustled on a deal. And, and that, that you, would, you would throw every bit of resources into that deal to be able to solve that customer's need. But on the, on the other side of it too, is you knew you would never lose a deal due to a lack of a relationship at your targeted customer. Really? That they, there was that much determination and resource put behind it that you, you would know that customer. And we're talking about down to who's sweeping the floors, up to who's the, the CEO of that organization, that you had relationships throughout there and you were aligning your resources at GE to the resources of the customer at each level, which, which was a wonderful experience. I like how you put it because I think that's really key. It's the intimate relationship. I think we lose track of that. We think we live in a world where you click to order nowadays. And I think for some commodity type products, that probably is the best way, but there has to be in the world of small business where you're offering some unique proposition, whether it's a service, whether it's a, you're a dentist or whether you're a consultant or you have a, a new product that you're manufacturing, you have to intimately understand and know your customer to be able to fulfill their needs. And I liked how you put it to know from the person that sweeps the floor to the person that's sitting in the boardroom. If you know them and develop that relationship, then you're going to be able to respond and you're going to be able to be evolutionary with your company and develop, continue to develop the product to suit the need. You know, as an account manager, I was able to change a territory in two and a half years from four million in revenue to seventeen million in revenue. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Let's hear about that. And that, how and that, did you do that? That was a wonderful experience. You know, the first when I walked in there, I called customers and they would hang up on me the minute I told them I worked for General Electric. And I, I was so proud. <laughs> And I called them out and I'd finally get them to say, hey, listen, I'm not the guy that they fired before me. I'm a different person. And then I found out that they had this productivity uh, selling technique where I could bring other resources throughout the whole General Electric company to my little plastics customer in Rio Rico, Arizona, as an example, and, and be able to go in there and bring in an expert that could do setup time reduction for the, for the injection molding machines. Wow. And, the presses. and if I could help them save money, then all I asked was for uh, equal of whatever I saved in competitor share, or can I raise your prices half of what I saved you? And obviously it was a win-win for everybody. Wow. And I started doing that everywhere. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the value and the relationships at every level in that organization became, you know, something that, that allowed us to generate more revenue and knock out competitors. I like that thought because people are on new technology, a little leery to make a major investment up front. So if you offer to partner with them, hey, we'll bring the solution. And if we save you money, we just want to partner then. We're going to take the risk and we're going to share in the revenue. Right. So you didn't just increase the units of sales or the number of occurrences. You just actually took something evolutionary that was saving them money and were able to grow revenue based on a different way of looking at the revenue model. Exactly.
and you'd have Six Sigma black belts that would accompany you, and you'd, it was all process related. It was all, you know, and, and again, I go back to if you love your customers, you'll eventually understand what, what's keeping them up at night. And whether it's in accounting, their books, you know, I, I even took uh, forklifts off of customers' books and, and did a, you know, a, a, a lease, a, a buy lease back with them. Wow. And, uh, so you found ways, I, I like that because so often I think it's easy to get stuck in this, here's the revenue model, here's my revenue proposition to you. But I think it takes more than that. I think it takes being able to look at what is revenue and why would someone be willing to pay me for this? And sometimes we have to put that model upside down. So you went from, was it 4 million to 17 million? Correct, that about two and a half years. And you know, I mean, really set a foundation for my sales career that's it's more than features and benefits it's a value proposition it's a complete package of that relationship between the two of us i like that because i think that's a key for small business owners to step back and look at am i pricing right for what i do and am i really delivering a product that is making a difference and if so how can i price that best because so often we think oh it's second nature to us I'm solving a problem. I know how to do that in my sleep, but to them, they haven't been able to solve it. So there's got to be a way to capture that premium. Now, that leads me, I, I thought when you first told me that, and I don't know who else who's watching today would have thought the same thing I was thinking, and that is, oh, so you went from 4 million to 17 million. I thought, okay, you went in and hired three more salespeople <laughs> and trained them. But that's not what your answer was. But I do think it's important to talk about managing a sales force because there's a lot of businesses who have that chance in the first three to five years of being in business to have more than one salesperson. And how do you, how do, you do that? I know, you know, how do you go through the process of managing a sales team? You know, to manage a sales team, trust is number one. There has to be a trusting relationship, no matter what your title is, amongst everybody on that team. And that's, that's a, a leader's responsibility to create that environment of trust and... and so you're talking within the team or also within the company? I, I'm talking about anybody, as example, you have a sales leader and you have a sales team, but they've got to be able to trust the sales leaders, uh, you know, boss or vice president. They have to be able to trust, you know, people that are, that are in the support roles and it just has to build this, this environment of, of collaboration, trust, trial and error. It's okay. And it's, it's transparent and it's authentic leadership. Because we live in a different world today. I don't think there's a lot of trust anywhere. So how do you engender that from the beginning? I mean, even starting with a, a sales force of one or two, how, how do you develop that trust? Well, you know what? It becomes communication. Communication, and if I didn't mention communication, <laughs> it, it, oh, really? it, it has to be open <laughs> communication. But I also believe, just like I believe that the best salesperson is the one who listens 90% of the time to the customer and doesn't sit there and talk. Uh, and I think that a leader has that, that responsibility also, that, that they talk less than their people and because they're hearing and they're putting pieces of the puzzle together as what's going on in that team or in that individual's life, both personal and professional, and truly understanding that person so you can actually give them guidance, coach them, and help them in, in their journey 
within a career. So taking an authentic interest in the people tends to build the trust. Exactly. exactly. If you're struggling to figure out how to gain, have people gain trust in you, right? They have to trust you, so you have to take an interest in them to where they feel that you care. Exactly. And you know, in a spinoff of that communication though also is you, you've got to have a, a, that cadence or that rhythm of, of communication of feedback, both positive and development feedback. And I, I know my cadence and my rhythm is to have a weekly conversation with the sales team and then have a monthly recap and then have official documented quarterly and annual reviews and, and that are working on their strengths, given the data that's not opinion, it's, it's factual, here's the data. And then on the, on the business development or the development needs of that person, the personal development needs, that they, they can sit in an elevator with the CEO at the end of the year and within that, that elevator ride, they can, they can tell that CEO what their, their strengths are and what their development needs are and what they're doing to build upon both of those areas. Wow, that's pretty good. There's so never a surprise. Build on the strengths, identify where the weaknesses are and development opportunities and identify them and encourage it. And many times those development needs aren't because the person's you know imperfect and, and has done something wrong. It's just where they are in their evolution of their career. And I think that's a healthy way to look at it. Otherwise, it could come back to be a yeah. little, little perplexing. And probably the last thing I'd say in, in, in this would be have fun. Make work fun. If, and I've always told my wife that if I'm laughing and if I'm cracking jokes and having a good time, that means that there's money in the bank. <laughs> so she knows to get serious when you're yeah, not. <laughs> exactly. And she's given me guidance in my career before. Uh, about, hey, you haven't been laughing or cracking jokes. How's it going to work? <laughs> That's interesting. It true. Yeah, and have fun. Sometimes I think I had a friend, he told me he started a business and in the business he had, it was a sales organization, but he had a slide that people could slide down. I think of that as fun, but I think the fun you're talking about is really enjoying what you're doing, enjoying the relationships you're building, enjoying the people you're interacting with. Yeah, and you know, a great sales leader will actually develop competitive type scenarios within the team and, and you know, we'll have contests, We'll have trips that we'll go on as a team. Uh, you know, I, I was blessed to go to a lot of Masters golf tournaments. When hey, I was lucky you. <laughs> yeah, to the Trino Winter Olympics on GE due to wow. a contest. I mean, there's all sorts of, you know. And small business owners probably can't afford those types of trips, but they can probably do something. They can do something. And, you know, there's two things really that, that drive employee satisfaction. One is just a general recognition. That, that they're valued, that they're loved, that, they, that you want them there, and that you, you know, appreciate what they're doing. But it, there's also just some sort of re reward, and it could just be small. It could be a, you know, a, a dinner for you and your wife or something like that, huh. and a, as, a, as an award for, for hitting a milestone. Wow, that's, a, that's an interesting perspective. E even the small things matter, that little recognition, getting something that maybe others didn't get, but it's to you personally recognizing, hey, you did it. I know I talked to somebody the other day who was an employee and started out in the factory, and he said that the owner liked him and wanted him around and bought him a whole life insurance policy just to try to show him how much he appreciated and wanted to keep him there, something that others weren't getting, not that 
he felt he was better than others, but the owner certainly recognized some leadership characteristic. He came to become the president and CEO of the company someday, starting out at probably one of the entry-level jobs. But yeah, you never know what they're gonna become. And when you trust and believe in someone, that's a really strong motivation. I you like do that. that for your child, why wouldn't you do it for an employee that's you know putting food on your table? That's a great, that's a great um, observation. So I, I'm wondering, you know, we talked a little bit about sales. I'm wondering about marketing. You know, marketing is an, an evasive term because it's so all-encompassing. And you mentioned some CRM, customer relationship management tools that are out there. But what role does a marketing plan play in developing or growing your revenue? So I've got a marketing degree. And... Uh... You know, it's, it's interesting that what I was taught in marketing versus what marketing is today, is completely different. Really? Today is more of a, an IT type of role, heavy technical, very uh, digital driven. And right now, marketing really plays a key role in the top of the sales funnel for the sales team that they've got to bring in qualified leads, they've got to be experts in influencing social media, use of AI, use of drip campaigns. I mean, all these different types of uh, digital or electronic uh, marketing that, that's involved. But then, you know, marketing also plays a, a critical role in developing the language that you're gonna to communicate to the outside. So there's a message, there's a brand. It's a lot of that's branding and, and again, developing that value proposition because. So the, that takes it a little bit away from the digital. So there is still this creative come up with what's going to resonate with your target audience, your target market. But then there's also the implementation of how do you harvest and, and identify leads within that target market. Exactly. And so that, so you really depend on marketing to develop that customer persona that then becomes a qualified lead that is done through the digital marketing side. And once you've defined all of that, and then it's, it's about messaging, it's about creating that, that uh, communication, both internal and external. You know, I, I like that in some respects because I know I've been the, I, I don't want to say victim, but I've, I've been identified that way by people who've been able to res get me to see messages often enough to where I respond and, and buy something. But sometimes you don't want to be overwhelmed by it either, though. There's sometimes too much contact can be a little bit annoying. What do you say about and that? Especially when it's automatic, it's AI driven, it's... Um, you know, I've, I've got, when I do some lead generation and mining, I've got strict instructions on how we build it that I want to reach out once, like on LinkedIn and LinkedIn Navigator. I want to reach out once if they connect with me. There's many software programs that tell you within, you know, a nanosecond, then send them a second message and say, thank you for connecting and that. And then everybody knows that that's like a bot that's you know that's doing that and, right so so i want it to be more human and i'll either do it myself the second uh, reach out or i'll have instructions that wait a day or two and let our connection sink in and then approach them like a human being would do oh wow i think that's great that's interesting that you can make it more personable uh, because i think that's one of the dangers but 
One of the things I'm walking away today as I sit here and say, you know, if I were starting a small business today or I owned one right now, I would definitely try to get to understand artificial intelligence, start to understand and implement, because there are a lot for small business of this customer relationship management, CRM uh, software out there, but make sure you personalize it and make sure you bring it to, to, to uh, a personal level so that you're using it as a reminder and as a motivation, not as an annoyance. Right, and, and you know, truly, versus when I you know, got my marketing degree, today truly is a global customer base that you just, you physically can't do it by yourself and get to everybody, get your messaging. That's why you have to use social media, which is also a global platform. And, and also your, your digital marketing becomes that and you can get overwhelmed if you try to do it all by yourself. Yeah, that's a lot for a business owner to undertake unless they really, that's all they want to do right. all day long. So, so how do you, how do you develop, what are some keys to developing a marketing and sales program that's cohesive? You've really got to get down into the weeds and you have to be specific and well-defined about what your products are, who your competitors are, what type of margin you want to have, uh, the KPIs that you're going to use, um, your sales processes. So these are really the fundamentals of starting a business anyway. You have to know what problem your, your product solves and who is going to be your user. It's easy to say, oh, everybody will want to use my product, but that's a fallacy. You, there's no way you can be all things to everyone. And so when you define those, you're really, once you have those defined though, how do you implement it? So you get into the weeds, but sometimes it's easy to stay in the weeds. So how do you get out of the weeds then to implement? Well, you go back to what I've been preaching about the over-communication. And that's, that's communicating within your organization as to what products and services you have and also educating the outside world that you have specific uh, specific niche that you solve problems in. But that leads into the value proposition that there's, as I stated before, not many companies and still today when I'm talking to companies, I ask about their value proposition and they bluntly throw out something of what they do and, and then I'll go and I'll ask another person in the organization, I'll get a different answer there, right. I'll ask another person, and you get all these different stories of what they think that the value proposition is, but that's one of the first things that I like to do with my clients, is let's really define what the value proposition is, so we're on the same page, so everybody's customer facing and everybody has the same message. Uh, that's interesting, you know, what I've done successfully in one of my businesses is I went out and I trademarked the value proposition and it became what we put on our signs, what we put in all of our messaging and that is owned for less than rent. And that was for office buildings, but that was the value proposition and everyone knew it. And so when a sales call came in, the sales force knew how to orient them to understand and walk them through that process of owning for less than rent and it made marketing messaging easier. It also made the buying properties easier. It made hiring contractors easier because we all had one common goal and we knew who our target markets were that we were after. So you knew who the segments that you were playing in, who the yeah. customers were in that. And then it sounds to me like the final point I'd have on this is that everything is actionable. And you know, I like uh, 
an XG leader and then he went to ally Larry Bosity when he just made it real simple, plan, execute, and deliver. So if you've yeah. got a detailed plan, then it's, then it's a matter of everybody pinning their ears back, going out and executing it, and the natural byproduct of that execution is that you're delivering whatever right. your commitments are. Yeah, you deliver your commitments, you deliver results to the company, you deliver acceptable, exceptional product to the customer. Exactly. That's interesting, I like that. So, you know, I think there's one thing to where it really has to start, and I don't know if this is hiring your first salesperson, but when I think of small businesses that I associate with, one of the challenges is going from somebody who might be charismatic and a good salesperson as a business owner or entrepreneur to being able to delegate that to somebody else and hiring basically your first sales manager, somebody that you're going to bring in to not only take over your role in selling, but also being able to then recruit and train and execute with a sales force. What are some keys to being able to hire? Because I think that's a stumbling block, a lot of small business owners. It's easy to get sold by somebody coming in, right. a salesperson, but how do you know it's the right fit? And how do you find, what, what are the characteristics of a good sales manager? That sales leader is, you know, people work for people. And, and if, you, if you keep that in mind, that's, that sales leader has gotta be a great recruiter. They've gotta be great at cultivating and developing relationships. They've got to be able to mentor, coach, and have, you know, almost like the sports background or of a, you know, of a football coach where you have that mentality that you have a bunch of players, you're going to have to communicate with them, you're going to have to cultivate them, you're going to have to mentor them, you're going to have to coach them, but you also need to set a vision. So that sales leader has got to be able to stand at the forefront and say, this is where we're going, this is why we're going there. And, and, and enjoy that we're going to be on this journey and then set those goals, be able to hold people accountable for those goals. And while they're holding them accountable, they're still inspiring them, they're still leading them, and they're still making it fun in this whole journey of, of selling, which really is, is just a, another competitive sport event in my mind. <laughs> that, that it has all those attributes, right? Right. The people that are playing as well as the people that are coaching. Um, you know, Isn't that what you help do, though, now with your sales acceleration program? Your, your idea is to be able to help business owners identify the talent they may, direction they need, but it also help identify talent and bring in, help them hire these types of people, right? Yeah, there's almost not a word for what I'm, I'm doing because, you know, a consultant will come in, ask a bunch of questions, write a report, hand it to the owner and say, hey, good luck. Right. And, and here's, here's the bill. Now, with what I do is I go in and ask those same questions, but then I say, hey, owner that wants to stay involved in the business and wants to still lead the sales team, let me just spend three or four months here and work on the infrastructure of everything we've talked about, the SAML, right? The strategy, the analysis, the methodology, the organization, which includes the people. And, and you know, I don't believe anybody wakes up in the morning and kisses their spouse their dog, their friend, or, or whatever, and says, hey, I'm going to go to work today for 12 hours, and I'm going to absolutely be terrible. <laughs> I, and I'll see you tonight. Okay? Right. <laughs> I, I think people get up in the morning, they want to achieve, it's the human nature to be successful, and so they go to work, they want to be in an environment that's fun, that, that has great uh, organization, has a great value proposition to their targeted customer base, but then has a leader 
that has all these people skills, but isn't afraid to hold people accountable. Because I think that's the key to this whole thing is that you've got to set the processes in place. And then, you know, the last two things that really make a key sales leader is in today's world is you've got to be technology minded. You've got to be able right. to understand a CRM, understand how to gain insights on it, on your KPI. So I'm taking notes metrics. on this. I'm knowing now I've got some characteristics. They have to have experience in these areas. They, they do. And they, and they have to be willing to hold people accountable for activities and actions and results. Yep, exactly. And then, you know, the, the, the last thing that I'd say is that that sales leader has got to be somebody has, that has a thirst for knowledge, for continuing education. And why? Not only to keep up with all the tools and the processes and the, the inventions that are happening throughout different industries. And it doesn't, isn't just a high-tech description I'm giving you. And this is happening in the chemical industry, real estate. It's happening in, in many locations, but they've got to have this thirst for, for new knowledge and be a sponge so they can teach and coach it to the people. If a sales manager gets into a car, goes on an account call, they've got this windshield time that, that they can educate and coach and teach after they find out that they may be struggling with a certain technology. Oh, wow. So they can help identify and help bring them along with the tools that are out there that can help them increase their performance. Exactly. So, you know, in the, I work on the infrastructure for three or four months, but then there's a lot of times it has an owner that says, you know, sales is not my expertise. It isn't something I enjoy. It's not, <laughs> so, yeah. and, 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 sales, I hate rejection. So can you find someone who will take exactly. it for me, right? And so what I'll do is I'll stay a total of a year. I'll work three or four months on the infrastructure, but then I'll run as a, in on, on a fractional basis, part-time, you know, be there weekly. I'll work on uh, their sales team. And that's from hiring salespeople, holding them accountable, making strategy, comp plans, I like this fractional thing because it seems easier for a business owner to take that on as a, you know, financially when it's not looking at making a full-time hiring decision. And then how do you hire your replacement, though, when you go? Because at some point, the company is going to become dependent on you for that leadership. And I'm sure you don't have time to work for them full-time. So how do you go about bringing somebody along? Well, I think that if, if you're doing the proper job internally, while you're there as a fractional sales leader that you can develop talent to be able to take over for you. And then, you know, in the, in the chance that you've identified something or someone, then I've got a program to where I actually put them through a certified sales leadership program and, 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 and start grooming them and giving them these opportunities. And at the tail end of my engagement, I empower them and I'm more sitting back watching them and giving observation oh, okay. as to as they start going. So I transition from coaching just the salespeople to it becomes a coaching a sales leader and then allows me to transition. You know, and on the other end, I we may have to go out and hire somebody and bring them in, but I would do that with plenty of notice because it takes you know, a good three months to find the right person and bring them in, onboard them, and and get that cadence going that you've worked so hard on that infrastructure to get into place. Right, and if you don't hire right, then that drops off and you start all over again. Exactly. And that's the risk, I think, to small business owners is sometimes one of the keys is to bring in outside expertise on a part-time basis to help get there. And it's like putting the training wheels on, like you said, get a cadence, get things up and going smoothly, 
and then try to maintain that and, and keep it and grow it. Exactly. Very, very good. Well, no one can come on the Biz Sherpa podcast without being asked probably the most embarrassing question that I always ask, and that is, what is your greatest failure? But there's a follow-up to it. What did you learn from it? Because I think in there lies a lot of secrets to success. Absolutely. You know, I, I can, but when you ask me that question, I can come into something that's near and dear to my heart in the last several years. In 2015, I moved my wife and a couple of kids from New Hampshire to Utah and thought that it'd just be a year, that I'd get transferred out with my company or I'd find another job. And then all of a sudden our business exploded, which was positive. All the changes that I put into place for three or four years of hard work were now coming to fruition. And we were making a lot of money. We were, you know, my division became one of the top divisions in the company. And our, our turnover went from 78% on the sales team down to 30%. Wow. Which was, which was below industry average. And, and we had all these great things going. And I just kept commuting for another four years. But, you know, in that time, my father passes away in 2016. And I have to say goodbye to him on a, on a, on a FaceTime because I wow. couldn't get back to Arizona in time uh, because it happened so quickly. And... And then at the end of 2017, and I share this without shame, I share it so that parents can, can really pay attention and understand that it could happen anywhere. But at the end of 2017, while I'm in a hotel in Indiana, I get a call from my wife at 2 a.m. telling me that my daughter's on life support, my 25-year-old daughter. Oh, wow. And she's dying of a heroin overdose. Oh, no. And it's not an addict. It's not somebody that stole. It's not... If this was a beautiful woman that was going to school and was working and went to a party and just didn't come home. Wow. And, and so you ask about a failure that, especially when that happened, knowing that I was commuting and, you know, and putting work over my personal life, it causes all these what ifs in your life. What if I would have been there? What if, what if I would have been more intimate with the situation? What if that, that night I would have called her from my hotel room? You know, all these things that you ask you know, wow. yourself but when it's such a tragedy. And, and I'm telling you that, that that took three years to get out of that funk wow. of, 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 of the death of a daughter, and especially in a manner where you possibly could have really helped out. Wow. That's life-changing. It is. And sobering. It is. To and think then, about. And then you asked the question of what do you learn from that? I'll go back to what I said about the non-negotiable part of a balance in life, that you've got that quadrant of faith, family, personal, and work. I let that get out of balance. And, and you know, and unfortunately it cost me something pretty, pretty dear to me. And, uh, and it took me a long time to get out of that mental, you know, part of it. My work never suffered. In fact, I jumped into work more than ever to hide from it right? instead of addressing it. And, and I was blessed of having great leaders at my employer that you know finally came to me and said, hey, you need to go home and here's a package. Wow, that's a blessing right there. You know, not many people can be that honest and I think it's really great that you're honest about that. I know you kind of said almost a force structure in there to where you get that balance and I can understand that. It's really easy, especially for business owners having been one, 
you know, my wife tells me I spend a lot of time. One time she said, you're going to spend more time with the important people and your children are going to grow up and not know their dad. And so I can kind of relate to what you say. I changed. I resigned from a lot of different things and scaled back and changed some of the focus of my life. But it's real easy to get out of there. And, and whether it's forced on us or whether we view it as an opportunity to bring that balance because things are more important than the business success, more important than the money. And I'm sure as I listen to you, Bill, it's a heart-wrenching moment to think about a daughter that you wonder, what could I have done? What if? And could I have had a better relationship? Would she still be alive? Exactly. I, I've never had to face that, but I think it brings a whole different level of intimacy, a whole different level of engagement with the people you do interact with. That personal level you talked about, that intimate relationship with the customer, with the people you work with. How has that made a difference in the last two or three years? Yeah, it's made a big difference. You know, I during those days of GE where you were working from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. And, and, you know, working really hard, but playing really hard and everything, I always had it in the back of my mind that if I ever ran a team, I would force balance. And I did do that. After, when I became a leader, I forced where, when I was traveling, and I tra traveled a lot with, to my sales team, especially in, in, in my uh, last uh, leg of corporate America with Schwann's home service, that I, I, would, I would travel to all of our remote locations, but I, I would not let the, uh, the leader go to dinner with me. I made them go home or go to the gym or go do whatever they want that I just wanted them during the day. We worked really hard, we would get everything done. And then I would go back to the hotel by myself or, or whatever, I didn't need them. I wanted them to have balance in their life. Oh, wow. That's a great, that's a great concept. And I think it's something we can all use. You know, Bill, I'm grateful that you take the time today. This has been a wonderful insight into what it takes to be successful in sales and marketing and how to build that inside of a smaller organization. and. I think you've offered some great tips. I know it's taken a lot out of your time and schedule, but I appreciate and you I doing this. And I want to thank you for, for doing this and giving back to the, the community with uh, what you've done and taking your experience and allow people to have some sort of a platform to uh, share best practices and help others so they don't uh, have to reinvent the wheel. Well, I appreciate that. You got the gist of the purpose of the Biz Sherpa. It's to inspire entrepreneurship and business ownership and to do it in a successful manner, or if you're a business owner already, sharpen that saw so that you can do an even better job. And I think this, the experiences of others, I think are the greatest teacher. We could put together a book, but I didn't want to write a book. This is really about real life people and experiences. And I think as you, as business owners connect with others, you'll find that, you'll sense that there's a human connection that transcends dollars, cents, products, and services and people feel that and people and you said at the beginning people want to do business with people that's right and so I appreciate you being here today you're a good friend and I'm grateful that we had this opportunity this is Craig Willett the Biz Sherpa thanks for joining us for this episode be sure to go to our website to access the resources related to this episode at www.bizsherpa.co if you enjoyed this show, tell your friends about us and be sure to rate our podcast. Craig would like to hear from you, so share your thoughts in the Facebook community at bizsherpa.co. Follow us on Twitter, 
at bizsherpa underscore co and on Instagram at bizsherpa.co.